we continue tonight with the series on the Old Testament. As we go through this, you'll be relieved to know that I'm not going to go through the entire Old Testament verse by verse, passage by passage. We will be hitting all the major themes. We will be visiting the major doctrines. We'll be going through the pathos of the relationship between God and his people, between God and individual people. The, the less life lessons that will come out of this, I think, will be very valuable to all of us tonight. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, we were talking about the book of Genesis. We uh, were talking about the fact that there is history that we're not privy to. We'll touch on just a little bit of that here as we go through tonight's lesson. God divinely created everything out of nothing. I gave the illustration Sunday of the scientist and God and they said, you know, we can reproduce life and, and so God said we'll have a contest and God got his dust and his particles and the scientist started gathering up his. He says, no, 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 you have to get your own. God is the only being that can create something, create life out of nothing. We can remanufacture, we can distill things, we can combine things because of the, the brain that God has given us, even at the 10% the that most of us are operating in. We can take stuff and we can, we can recreate something out of that, but no one but God has life in himself to where he can create something out of nothing and he can create life out of nothing. God reveals himself as being eternal from the past and eternal in the future. We touched on that Sunday as well. He has no beginning of life. He has no end of days. And although God created all things, he is separate from his creation. This was a radical revelation when this theology was dropped in, in Genesis that God is separate from his creation. And even yet today, when we go to South America, if you go to the Amazon, if you go to some of the back country in Africa, there are animists who believe that the divine spirit out there, whatever that particular tribe calls him, is a part of the creation. And so that's why you'll have people that are tying ribbons around trees and they're praying to trees. They're praying to inanimate objects because they believe that the creation is God, that he's, he, is, he is part and parcel of it. God reveals in the book of Genesis that that is not the case, that the spirit of God does not dwell in the things that he has made, but he is a, he is a spirit uh, that is above and beyond his handiwork. Um, this was radical theology when it was being written and it would be for, you know, like somebody who had never heard the doctrine of the rapture before. They've never heard of the concept that, you know, people are going to live forever and that we will be snatched up to heaven. That's just like a shock to people. That's what this was when it was written, that God does not dwell in the inanimate objects, the pile of rocks that you've stacked up, the, the trees that you're worshiping, the mountains that you're worshiping, the bodies of water. Uh, God does not dwell in the, the, the bodies of animals, as even many tribals believe yet today. In Genesis 1, the word create happens three times, and the, the, the Hebrew word translated to English literally means to make something out of nothing. It is so it's a different concept. 
when you're studying a passage and you really want to find out the, the, the original meaning of that, there are times when you need to go back to the original language. There are tools online that will enable you to do that. You can go to Blue Letter Bible um, on the internet and it will, it will break things down for you. You can select the passage and then it will bring up either Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic and you can click and it'll open that up. It'll define things for you and that is important in some pivotal passages that the meanings have perhaps been misunderstood. Um, it's like, you know, there was a song and people used to say all the time, they quote Jesus that says that, you know, when I am lifted up, I will draw men unto me. And we sang songs about that and we thought that meant worship. No, it doesn't mean worship. Jesus was saying, when I'm crucified, when I have given my life as a sacrifice, then I will woo people uh, to salvation, to me in relationship of salvation. And so it's very important that we do not read the Bible either from a 21st century perspective or an English perspective or a Western perspective. This is, at the very latest, a first century Oriental book. And so the people that God used to pen God's words were people of a tre tremendously different culture than you and I. Their worldview, the way that they saw things, the way that they interpreted things was vastly different. Being a missionary, you know, you learn these lessons hard. You think that you're tracking, you understand what's going on, you're picking up most of the words. And what is happening though is that you're taking it in and you're thinking American, and they're thinking something else and then there's a clash because that's not at all what they meant and when we come to the bible and we approach this as though it was written by americans for americans in our time we often come into conflict with the word and that's why you have a lot of people who reject the the authenticity or the the authority of the scriptures because they have lived their life believing one thing that was basically a fairy tale because they were not taking the word as it was written. Uh, the fact that God made the world out of nothing is an indication to us that he has all power. Not only does God teach explicitly the things that we learn as doctrine, but God expects us to be students. Remember, it says study that you would be a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay. We talked about social intelligence um, a couple of weeks ago where you pick up on clues and hints and you learn the lesson without being sat down and taught the literal lesson. Well, when we see these things happening, we need to be picking up on the fact that, wait, no other being can create life, can speak it into being out of absolutely nothing, out of the thoughts of that being's head. So that shows us that he is omnipotent. He is all powerful. And by nature, there can only be one being that is all powerful. So if you're being intellectually honest with yourself, you realize there cannot be more than one God. There cannot, there, there is no sharing of a throne up there. Allah is not up there. Buddha is not up there. Shriva, none of those things. Those are all creations, man's way of trying to redeem himself. And we're going to talk about that because it's something that naturally lifts off of the pages here in a few minutes as we get there. 
as you read in depth and you pray and you meditate, these things begin to rise to the top and the, the logical thought as you're led by the Spirit of God leads you through these processes. Wait, he's revealing himself. Now, part of it, on being honest with you, part of that does not immediately come unless you have studied the cultures and things of that time in that area. But logically, there can only be one all-powerful being because if there were two, one of them's not all-powerful. And then if there's only one that can be that, then there's only one really that can be a god. You know what I'm saying? So it, we can learn all these kinds of things and we can get lost in details. But what I'm going to try to help is to give the big cartoon picture of the Old Testament, the flyover of the big themes, the, the big issues of relationship, things that need to be drawn attention to, like uh, passages that, that can be sticky, that can be misunderstood. It's more important, far more important for us to understand God created everything out of nothing and, and that he is, um, he is not giving us necessarily a timetable. He's not recording everything that ever took place. Remember the illustration I said that we would have to have a U-Haul to bring our Bibles to church if God recorded everything. That using hyperbole, the disciples said, if everything that Jesus did and said was written down, the world could not contain the books. Well, he was saying it would just be a massive volume of material. But can you imagine if God recorded everything that he did in every generation and before mankind? There's not enough room. So God cuts to the chase. He is recording the things that trace his dealings with mankind that give us the knowledge that we need to come to a relationship with him. That give us illustrations, good, bad, and ugly, of how other people have done it, other people have tried it, how other people have gotten off course, what it cost them. That's why this history is recorded for us here. But the point of this is that God created the world from nothing and his work of creation was characterized by his his purpose his design and his order God never does anything without a plan God the Bible says tells the end from the beginning he knows absolutely everything that's going to take place and God does not waste his time and he does not waste effort or energy when he does something it has a purpose it has a shape it has a design it has an order the Bible said remember when they were talking about spiritual gifts Paul was teaching he says God is a God of order and not of chaos okay so Hebrews 11 I, I misled you but you can hang out there in Hebrews 1 we'll get there in a second um, this, this, this overview expresses God's character. Okay? When you watch somebody, how they behave, how they react, how they initiate things, you kind of pick up on who they are. And that's why God is wanting us not just to read the words, but look at the relationship. Look at how he responds to people's faith or lack thereof or their persistent disobedience. It's revealing to us how God thinks, and that helps us in our own relationship. Um, Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. 
there's a lot of things in the Old Testament and a lot of things in the New Testament that just blow my mind. If you sit there and you meditate, you think, okay, he says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. <clears throat> what was there before the universe? Where was God hanging out? What is outside of the universe? I mean, for all we know, this whole thing is a snow globe sitting on God's desk. He spoke and there was the universe, but the Bible tells us that heaven is God's throne and the earth is his footstool. God cannot be contained. So we look out there and we're looking further and further with our technology, but what's beyond there? We serve a God who is beyond all creation that we could ever possibly discover. And God is presenting to us the fact that he was before all things that we can know, we can understand, we can grasp. There are realities that just won't enter our mind. And it says that at his command, this was all made out of nothing. That's, you take that to a scientist, so that's a non-starter. You can't create something out of nothing. You have to have a primordial material to work with. But God did it. All he did was thought it, spoke it, and there it was. And God was before the universe, and God was in existence without the universe. Man, as we will find out, is God's masterpiece and God's centerpiece. Now, we think of all of the things. I don't know if you guys have ever gotten on to NASA's website or you've gone on to um, websites that deal with the, the pictures from outer space. It's just mind-blowing. The billions of galaxies that are out there. You know, uh, why did God make that? Everything it does with purpose, I think, God's going to give us the opportunity to explore all that when we're free from these mortal bodies without having to wear a suit or go up in a rocket. God created all of this for us to enjoy and for him to have fellowship with us. Um, we are the most important thing of all the planets, the universes, the galaxies, the, all of the, the stars, the trees, the plants, the mountains, the rivers, the animals, the fish. We are more important than the angels. Look with me at Hebrews 1.14. It says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? You know, we, if you've ever had an experience where you've seen an angel, it will make you incontinent. These beings are powerful. We, you know, we see, like, particularly at Valentine's Day, you know, the cherub, the cute little fat baby angel that can barely get off the ground with his tiny little wings. Cherubs were these massive warrior angels that guarded the Garden of Eden. Cherubs were the ones who stood there with flaming swords and nobody dared come near there because they would end up in a thousand little pieces. They are not these cute, fat little babies. They are warrior class angels. There are different classes of angels that are, that are revealed in the scriptures. We think of Michael. We think of all of these powerful angels that war with 
demonic spirits that war with fallen angels, that war with, with Lucifer himself, that can take on a physical form and then evaporate into the ether, become a spiritual being that cannot be seen. They're here tonight. Thanks for being here, guys. They're here tonight because the Bible says that God has given them charge over us. They serve as servants to those who will inherit salvation. They, in a, in a way, envy us because the Bible says that they long to look into the things that we have been told and that we are experiencing. What is it like to be redeemed? See, angels are unredeemable. We are the only creature that can be saved, that can be redeemed, that can be bought back. When the angels fell, that was it. There was no redemption. There was no plan of salvation. There was no sacrifice for them. When they fell, boom, that's it. And we'll get into some really weird things here as we get closer to Genesis chapter 6. But we need to understand, not in an arrogant way, but everything revolves around us. This universe was created for us. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Who is it talking to? Us. Because he's wanting us to be saved. He's wanting us to know him. He's wanting us to be in relationship. The Bible says that he created all of this for our pleasure. This is the fallen state. I go to some places in the world and I'm just like, my mouth is agape. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. You know, you go to the Canary Islands off the, the coast of Morocco and you're, you drive around this island. It's a volcanic island. You go up and up and up and you, so all of a sudden you're driving literally in the clouds. And then about a half a mile later, you pop out and you're above the clouds. You're sitting on a road and you're looking as far as you can see. You're on top of the clouds like you're in a jet. And this is the fallen state. The Bible says the earth is under a curse, just like we are. Well, we, we lost our spiritual life. We, you know, the, the Lord said that the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He wasn't talking about, boom, you keel over immediately. He was talking about your spirit man dies and then the process of decay and age and death began in you. The earth is also under the curse. The Bible says that it groans waiting for the redemption to happen, to come to pass. That's why we're having all the earthquakes. It's, I'm not getting off into prophecy tonight, but uh, it's too, I'm like a squirrel. I get distracted very easy. Um, we are the center of God's interests. We are the center of God's purposes. And sometimes we think, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. Who cares about me? You think about the God of heaven who stepped off of his throne, who put himself not just in flesh, but in a baby. And he grew up in a poor carpenter's home. And Isaiah says he was not even good looking. It says there was nothing about him that would attract us to him. He wasn't tall, he wasn't handsome. You know, I mean, if I was God, you know, I think I'd be born in a palace. I would be six foot four. I'd be built like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But it says there was nothing about him. He had no wealth. He had no power. He had no fame. He had no, no name. 
Everybody thought he was an illegitimate child. He had no wealth. He had nothing. He was not even good looking. That's how God came. Well, that also reveals his character. He is humble. It's an oxymoron to me. It says he humbled himself and took on the form of a man. We are the passion, the heart of God. And he came and he redeemed us with his own life. Jesus still has the scars. When we get to heaven, we'll be able to see the wound in his side. We'll see the holes in his hand. We'll see the holes in his feet. When he appeared in his glorified body, remember Thomas said he refused to believe. And then when he showed up, he said, look, put your, put your hand in my side. But what did he say? He said, my Lord and my God. Jesus still is wearing that flesh. He is the God man, the eternal high priest for us. We were given responsibility and we were given power over God's creation. What a privilege. What, what an honor. God has given us the freedom of choice by placing within us free will. Think about that. We're the size of an ant and God allows us to point our little bony finger in his face and say, no, I don't believe in you or I don't want to submit to you. I want to do my own thing. How incredible. And yet the Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, he didn't wait until we said, God, we need you. He said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. If that's not love, I have absolutely no idea what possibly could be. You know, I talked about the stars, the planets, the galaxies, all these, these things were set like a clock. They have rhythms and they have circuits. They have no choice. They do not have a will. The angels, to a large part, have no will. Because if they exercise the will to say no, they become fallen angels and there's no redemption for them. But God, in all of creation, has given you and I the opportunity to say no. And yet he keeps pursuing us. And he keeps trying to bring us back to himself. I don't understand that. I have studied this thing since I was a little boy. I do not understand his love for us. But I'm incredibly thankful that he is so stubborn in his love and his passion for the human project. Um, I don't think I'm going to get through all this tonight. I do want to touch on something, though. The, 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 there's a chess game that's going on the entire Bible long. Okay? Satan is trying to derail the plan of redemption. Okay? He got Adam and Eve to fall. And by, by telling them, you can become God. Same story, same lie, 
different names and faces. He's been doing it all through history. That's what the Antichrist is all about. We're seeing it today with all the false religions, self-made religion, all these kind of things. So they've got this chess game, this war going back and forth, back and forth. And every generation, Satan is trying to find out, could this person be the Messiah? So you have Moses, you know, he has to be, he has to be put in the, the reed basket, put in the river, because Pharaoh says, I'm killing all those children out there, so the deliverer, the deliverer cannot come. We see this happening throughout Israel's history. And again, when Jesus actually is born, you got Herod murdering all of the boys two years and under. So this is Satan's chess game, trying to stop the plan of redemption. He can't be redeemed. The fallen angels can't be redeemed. Why in the world is he... I mean, He's read, he's got this whole thing memorized, the Bible, you know, because he, boy, he spouts it, he twists it and uses it to confuse and damn people. Well, if he knows he's going to lose, why in the world does he keep fighting and deceiving and tempting? He knows he can't win. He knows he's bound for the abyss, the lake of fire. The only way that he can get back at God is if he can take people and cause them to be condemned to hell through their rebellion and their refusal, their deception and their blasphemy. Every person that he causes to fall and condemn themselves to hell, for him, is a sense of victory. Because he knows that the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. So do you see the chess game? That's why we're tempted. That's why people are deceived. That's why the devil people offers people the world. You ever wonder why all these rock stars and these movie stars, they die so young? Oh, the devil can't do that. Oh, yeah. He stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with the God of the universe and said, you bow to me, you worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus didn't say, you can't do that. Jesus didn't say, you don't have the power or the authority. He rebuked him with the word of God. He does have that. There are people every generation that are selling themselves for money, for, for women, for power, for territory, for glory. This is the chess game with every person that he convinces to send themselves to hell because God doesn't send them. God paid the price for them to go to heaven. God has been reaching out to them all of their lives. People choose to go to hell. They're not sent to hell. And every time that happens, it's like smacking God in the face because he's breaking the heart. That's the only victory that he can win. So that's why he keeps trying. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 28. It kind of gives a, a prequel to the chess game that's going on. And I'll, I'll, I'm not even halfway through, so I'll conclude tonight with, with uh, talking about this here. Ezekiel chapter 28. We're going to begin reading at verse 11. This is prehistory. Okay. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, 
the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On, that, on the day that you were created, they were prepared. Verse 14, you were anointed as a guardian cherub. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. And I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. You heard, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You who have come to a horrible end and will be no more. This is history we don't have an accounting of. There is no civilization spoken of in our books. There is no accounting for these geographical locations. He talks about the holy mount of God walking among the fiery stones. What was that? What was that? Where was that? Through your widespread trade. Wait. Humanity is not yet in the Garden of Eden existing. And he's talking about your widespread commerce, your widespread trade, your relationships with the nations. He said in, in verse 17, I made you a spectacle before kings. Who were those kings? He goes on to talk about your dishonest trade and your sanctuaries. There's, there is history that, that is not accounted for. There's a whole lot more to this chess game. When, how, why was wickedness? Where did the wickedness come from? He said you were perfect in your beauty, your character, everything. We'll read other passages that give further descriptions. He, he was made to be the worship leader of heaven. He actually had instruments built into his body. You say, Doyle, you have been smoking. You've been down there at one of those, those shops on the way up here to Caney. No, we'll read it. We'll talk about it. There's all kinds of things out there that we don't know. And yet we have people who are saying, you know, God can't be eternal. God can't be this. You guys can't be all this. And we think we understand so much. Remember in Job chapter 38, after he had been, he finally broke down and he began lamenting and complaining and griping to God. And he says, sit down, boy. I want to talk to you. Let me ask you a question. Two chapters. Were you there? Were you there? Did you know? Did you make all of these things? And we're reading things that are like, whoa, we have no history of that. Job was living concurrent with Leviathan. Job was living concurrent with dinosaurs. How does that fix? You say, that's not in there. Yeah, read it. Read the book of Job before you go tonight. Uh, go to bed tonight. 
There are so many things in this chess game. It is so complex. And so God gives us the mountaintops. He gives us the highlights. He gives us the path, the things that we have to know. But there are fascinating things in this unread, this unknown history because we've got a season of seven years coming up that are going to be wild. The Lord said it's going to be worse than any other time that has ever been or ever will be again. I'm thinking of war in heaven and kicking the the worship leader out of the church and the guardian cherub getting fired. I think that's a pretty big deal. Taking a third of the angels out of heaven, I think that's a pretty big deal. And God says that the seven years that we're about to experience, not us as born-again believers, we're out of here. You want to stay and watch it? Fine, I'm leaving. But he said it's going to be worse than anything that has ever been. So if people can't live for the Lord right now, how in the world? You know, the Bible tells us there's going to be an incredible crowd that gets saved. I don't think that's going to be people who are in church now, who are not real believers, but they're just playing the game. I don't think so, because the Bible says that God is going to cause them to believe the lie because they loved not the truth. I think it's going to be a bunch of people who are coming out of biker gangs and Islam and Hinduism, Buddhism, and all these things that the Lord's going to wake them up and they're going to receive Him. But for those who are playing games, and you see, you, 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 there are lots of things that you, young people, millennials, love to discuss things that they think that theologians can't handle, preachers can't handle. I had a girl call me in Madrid one day. She thought she was going to really um, throw me for a loop, throw some scientific questions out. I said, oh, yeah, let's go to chapter so-and-so in this book. and let's, Oh, yeah, right there it is. We think we're so smart, our mankind, unsaved man, thinks that they're so smart. When I look at these realities, and I look at my problems, and I'm thinking, you know, God, I've made mountains out of my problems, and I've made a little bitty God out of you. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, Lord. Because when I look at this, you're all powerful, you're all knowing. You create out of nothing. We'll look at fascinating patterns. The Lord created Lucifer. Lucifer is not a bad name. It's a God-given name. It means light bearer. In Spanish, luz, la luz, means light. He is a light bearer. God created him knowing what he was going to do. When Jesus came and he picked his disciples, what did he do? He picked Judas, the zealot, the terrorist. That's what he was. He was a part of the Jewish intifada that was causing havoc with the Roman government. He wanted a political messiah. He wanted a political ruler that was going to overthrow Rome. That's not why Jesus came. He said, I'm going to do that, but it's a long time from now. But I'm here now to redeem mankind. Jesus chose Judas 
knowing that he was going to betray him. God is always so far ahead. He's already got checkmate in his moves already. And every move that the devil makes, he has already anticipated it. And he makes it look like he's going to lose. And then he goes, click, 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 click. Game over. Checkmate. That's what's going to happen again. So... I'm hoping that as we go through here, God is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger in our hearts and our eyes as we see all that he has done, that he knows absolutely everything, every word, every person, every name. The Bible says that he created every star, and it says that he calls them each by name. imagine my mom used to run through the list of kids including my sister till she got to my name God calls every one of those by name and we know that God names things after their characteristics we know that God names things after something that they're going to do wow he doesn't say you look like Bob I think I'll call you Bob no it's just like when he presented the animals before Adam. And it says, Adam named them all according to their characteristics. See, we were created in God's image. We'll get into that later. This God that we serve, he lets us have relationship with him, but it's impossible to know him. There's always more. There's always deeper. There's always revelation. To me, I get so excited about the Old Testament because I, I think there's so much in there that most people have never heard of because it's flyover territory. Yeah, I'm a Christian. We don't read that Jewish part. It's all Jewish, buddy. Jesus was a Jew. If you don't like Jews, you're in trouble because he's, he's the boss. But as we move through this and we big up, pick up the big themes and things, I hope that you find things that you can take and you can give to other people. You can help them in their struggle, in their misunderstandings, in their frustrations, in their doubts. And hopefully it will improve our prayer lives as well because it is exciting. You know when God can tell the whole story of redemption from Adam to, to heaven in a genealogy, it's got to be good. Okay? So let's uh, close with prayer tonight and, and let's just ask the Lord that he would enlighten our hearts and open our spirits as we begin to read passages maybe we haven't visited in a long time that we will be refreshed and renewed and re-energized. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us, Lord. And that seems so trite to say that. Words cannot truly communicate, Lord, what my heart feels. Lord, with deep gratitude, we sit here tonight, people who have not only heard about God, but your spirit convicted us that the account is true. And Lord, that you drew us to you and you gave us the faith to accept you as Savior. Thank you, Lord, for what you did. And thank you, Lord, for what is yet to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
we continue tonight with the series on the Old Testament. As we go through this, you'll be relieved to know that I'm not going to go through the entire Old Testament verse by verse, passage by passage. We will be hitting all the major themes. We will be visiting the major doctrines. We'll be going through the pathos of the relationship between God and his people, between God and individual people. The, the less life lessons that will come out of this, I think will be very valuable to all of us tonight. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, we were talking about the book of Genesis. We uh, were talking about the fact that there is history that we're not privy to. We'll touch on just a little bit of that here as we go through tonight's lesson. God divinely created everything out of nothing. I gave the illustration Sunday of the scientists and God and they said, you know, we can reproduce life. And, and so God said, we'll have a contest and God got his dust and his particles and the scientists started gathering up his. He says, no, 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 no. You have to get your own. God is the only being that can create something, create life out of nothing. We can remanufacture, we can distill things, we can combine things because of the, the brain that God has given us, even at the 10% the that most of us are operating in. We can take stuff and we can, we can recreate something out of that, but no one but God has life in himself to where he can create something out of nothing and he can create life out of nothing. God reveals himself as being eternal from the past and eternal in the future. We touched on that Sunday as well. He has no beginning of life. He has no end of days. And although God created all things, he is separate from his creation. This was a radical revelation when this theology was dropped in, in Genesis that God is separate from his creation. And even yet today, when we go to South America, if you go to the Amazon, if you go to some of the back country in Africa, there are animists who believe that the divine spirit out there, whatever that particular tribe calls him, is a part of the creation. And so that's why you'll have people that are tying ribbons around trees and they're praying to trees. They're praying to inanimate objects because they believe that the creation is God, that he's, he, is, he is part and parcel of it. God reveals in the book of Genesis that that is not the case, that the spirit of God does not dwell in the things that he has made, but he is a, he is a spirit uh, that is above and beyond his handiwork. Um, this was radical theology when it was being written and it would be for, you know, like somebody who had never heard the doctrine of the rapture before. They've never heard of the concept that, you know, people are going to live forever and that we will be snatched up to heaven. That's just like a shock to people. That's what this was when it was written, that God does not dwell in the inanimate objects, the pile of rocks that you've stacked up, the, the trees that you're worshiping, the mountains that you're worshiping, the bodies of water. Uh, God does not dwell in the, the, the bodies of animals, as even many tribals believe yet today. In Genesis 1, the word create happens three times, and the, the, the Hebrew word, Translated to English literally means to make something out of nothing. It is so it's a different concept. 
when you're studying a passage and you really want to find out the, the, the original meaning of that, there are times when you need to go back to the original language. There are tools online that will enable you to do that. You can go to Blue Letter Bible um, on the internet and it will, it will break things down for you. You can select a passage and then it will bring up either Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic and you can click and it'll open that up. It'll define things for you and that is important in some pivotal passages that the meanings have perhaps been misunderstood. Um, it's like, you know, there was a song and people used to say all the time, they quote Jesus that says that, you know, when I am lifted up, I will draw men unto me. And we sang songs about that and we thought that meant worship. No, it doesn't mean worship. Jesus was saying, when I'm crucified, when I have given my life as a sacrifice, then I will woo people uh, to salvation, to me in relationship of salvation. And so it's very important that we do not read the Bible either from a 21st century perspective or an English perspective or a Western perspective. This is, at the very latest, a first century Oriental book. And so the people that God used to pen God's words were people of a tre tremendously different culture than you and I. Their worldview, the way that they saw things, the way that they interpreted things was vastly different. Being a missionary, you know, you learn these lessons hard. You think that you're tracking, you understand what's going on, you're picking up most of the words. And what is happening though is that you're taking it in and you're thinking American, and they're thinking something else and then there's a clash because that's not at all what they meant and when we come to the bible and we approach this as though it was written by americans for americans in our time we often come into conflict with the word and that's why you have a lot of people who reject the the authenticity or the the authority of the scriptures because they have lived their life believing one thing that was basically a fairy tale because they were not taking the word as it was written. Uh, the fact that God made the world out of nothing is an indication to us that he has all power. Not only does God teach explicitly the things that we learn as doctrine, but God expects us to be students. Remember, it says study that you would be a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay. We talked about social intelligence um, a couple of weeks ago where you pick up on clues and hints and you learn the lesson without being sat down and taught the literal lesson. Well, when we see these things happening, we need to be picking up on the fact that, wait, no other being can create life, can speak it into being out of absolutely nothing, out of the thoughts of that being's head. So that shows us that he is omnipotent. He is all powerful. And by nature, there can only be one being that is all powerful. So if you're being intellectually honest with yourself, you realize there cannot be more than one God. There cannot, there, there is no sharing of a throne up there. Allah is not up there. Buddha is not up there. Shriva, none of those things. Those are all creations, man's way of trying to redeem himself. And we're going to talk about that because it's something that naturally lifts off of the pages here in a few minutes as we get there. 
But as you read in depth and you pray and you meditate, these things begin to rise to the top and the, the logical thought as you're led by the Spirit of God leads you through these processes. Wait, he's revealing himself. Now, part of it, on uh, being honest with you, part of that does not immediately come unless you have studied the cultures and things of that time in that area. But logically, there can only be one all-powerful being because if there were two, one of them's not all-powerful. And then if there's only one that can be that, then there's only one really that can be a God. You know what I'm saying? So it, we can learn all these kinds of things and we can get lost in details. But what I'm going to try to help is to give the big cartoon picture of the Old Testament, the flyover of the big themes, the, the big issues of relationship, things that need to be drawn attention to, like uh, passages that, that can be sticky, that can be misunderstood. It's more important, far more important for us to understand God created everything out of nothing and, and that he is... Um, he is not giving us necessarily a timetable. He's not recording everything that ever took place. Remember the illustration I said that we would have to have a U-Haul to bring our Bibles to church if God recorded everything. That using hyperbole, the disciples said, if everything that Jesus did and said was written down, the world could not contain the books. Well, he was saying it would just be a massive volume of material but can you imagine if God recorded everything that he did in every generation and before mankind there's not enough room so God cuts to the chase he is recording the things that trace his dealings with mankind that give us the knowledge that we need to come to a relationship with him that give us illustrations good bad and ugly of how other people have done it, other people have tried it, how other people have gotten off course, what it cost them. That's why this history is recorded for us here. But the point of this is that God created the world from nothing and his work of creation was characterized by his, his purpose, his design, and his order. God never does anything without a plan. God, the Bible says, tells the end from the beginning. He knows absolutely everything that's going to take place. And God does not waste his time and he does not waste effort or energy. When he does something, it has a purpose, it has a shape, it has a design, it has an order. The Bible says, remember when they were talking about spiritual gifts, Paul was teaching, he says God is a God of order and not of chaos. Okay? So Hebrews 11, I, I misled you, but still. You can hang out there in Hebrews 1. We'll get there in a second. Um, this, this, this overview expresses God's character. Okay, When you watch somebody, how they behave, how they react, how they initiate things, you kind of pick up on who they are. And that's why God is wanting us not just to read the words, but look at the relationship. Look at how he responds to people's faith or lack thereof or their persistent disobedience. It's revealing to us how God thinks, and that helps us in our own relationship. Um, Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. 
there's a lot of things in the Old Testament and a lot of things in the New Testament that just blow my mind. If you sit there and you meditate, you think, okay, he says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. <clears throat> what was there before the universe? Where was God hanging out? What is outside of the universe? I mean, for all we know, this whole thing is a snow globe sitting on God's desk. He spoke and there was the universe, but the Bible tells us that heaven is God's throne and the earth is his footstool. God cannot be contained. So we look out there and we're looking further and further with our technology, but what's beyond there? We serve a God who is beyond all creation that we could ever possibly discover. And God is presenting to us the fact that he was before all things that we can know, we can understand, we can grasp. There are realities that just won't enter our mind. And it says that at his command, this was all made out of nothing. That's, you take that to a scientist, so that's a non-starter. You can't create something out of nothing. You have to have a primordial material to work with. But God did it. All he did was thought it, spoke it, and there it was. And God was before the universe, and God was in existence without the universe. Man, as we will find out, is God's masterpiece and God's centerpiece. Now, we think of all of the things. I don't know if you guys have ever gotten on to NASA's website or you've gone on to um, websites that deal with the, the pictures from outer space. It's just mind-blowing. The billions of galaxies that are out there. You know, uh, why did God make that? Everything it does with purpose, I think, God's going to give us the opportunity to explore all that when we're free from these mortal bodies without having to wear a suit or go up in a rocket. God created all of this for us to enjoy and for him to have fellowship with us. Um, we are the most important thing of all the planets, the universes, the galaxies, the, all of the, the stars, the trees, the plants, the mountains, the rivers, the animals, the fish. We are more important than the angels. Look with me at Hebrews 1.14. It says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? You know, we, if you've ever had an experience where you've seen an angel, it will make you incontinent. These beings are powerful. We, you know, we see, like, particularly in Valentine's Day, you know, the cherub, the cute little fat baby angel that can barely get off the ground with his tiny little wings. Cherubs were these massive warrior angels that guarded the Garden of Eden. Cherubs were the ones who stood there with flaming swords and nobody dared come near there because they would end up in a thousand little pieces. They are not these cute, fat little babies. They are warrior class angels. There are different classes of angels that are, that are revealed in the scriptures. We think of Michael. We think of all of these powerful angels that war with 
demonic spirits that war with fallen angels, that war with, with Lucifer himself, that can take on a physical form and then evaporate into the ether, become a spiritual being that cannot be seen. They're here tonight. Thanks for being here, guys. They're here tonight because the Bible says that God has given them charge over us. They serve as servants to those who will inherit salvation. They, in a, in a way, envy us because the Bible says that they long to look into the things that we have been told and we are experiencing. What is it like to be redeemed? See, angels are unredeemable. We are the only creature that can be saved, that can be redeemed, that can be bought back when the angels fell, that was it. There was no redemption. There was no plan of salvation. There was no sacrifice for them. When they fell, boom, that's it. And we'll get into some really weird things here as we get closer to Genesis chapter 6. But we need to understand, not in an arrogant way, but everything revolves around us. This universe was created for us. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Who is it talking to? Us. Because he's wanting us to be saved. He's wanting us to know him. He's wanting us to be in relationship. The Bible says that he created all of this for our pleasure. This is the fallen state. I go to some places in the world and I'm just like, my mouth is agape. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. You know, you go to the Canary Islands off the, the coast of Morocco and you're, you drive around this island. It's a volcanic island. You go up and up and up and you, so all of a sudden you're driving literally in the clouds. And then about a half a mile later, you pop out and you're above the clouds. You're sitting on a road and you're looking as far as you can see. You're on top of the clouds like you're in a jet. And this is the fallen state. The Bible says the earth is under a curse, just like we are. Well, we, we lost our spiritual life. We, you know, the, the Lord said that the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He wasn't talking about, boom, you keel over immediately. He was talking about your spirit man dies and then the process of decay and age and death began in you. The earth is also under the curse. The Bible says that it groans waiting for the redemption to happen, to come to pass. That's why we're having all the earthquakes. It's, I'm not getting off into prophecy tonight, but uh, it's too, I'm like a squirrel. I get distracted very easy. Um, we are the center of God's interests. We are the center of God's purposes. And sometimes we think, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. Who cares about me? You think about the God of heaven who stepped off of his throne, who put himself not just in flesh, but in a baby. And he grew up in a poor carpenter's home. And Isaiah it says he was not even good looking. It says there was nothing about him that would attract us to him. He wasn't tall, he wasn't handsome. You know, I mean, if I was God, you know, I think I'd be born in a palace. I would be six foot four. I'd be built like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But it says there was nothing about him. He had no wealth. He had no power. He had no fame. He had no, no name. 
Everybody thought he was an illegitimate child. He had no wealth. He had nothing. He was not even good looking. That's how God came. Well, that also reveals his character. He is humble. It's an oxymoron to me. It says he humbled himself and took on the form of a man. We are the passion, the heart of God. And he came and he redeemed us with his own life. Jesus still has the scars. When we get to heaven, we'll be able to see the wound in his side. We'll see the holes in his hand. We'll see the holes in his feet. When he appeared in his glorified body, remember Thomas said he refused to believe. And then when he showed up, he said, look, put your, put your hand in my side. What did he say? He said, my Lord and my God. Jesus still is wearing that flesh. He is the God-man, the eternal high priest for us. We were given responsibility and we were given power over God's creation. What a privilege. What, what an honor. God has given us the freedom of choice by placing within us free will. Think about that. We're the size of an ant and God allows us to point our little bony finger in his face and say, no, I don't believe in you or I don't want to submit to you. I want to do my own thing. How incredible. And yet the Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, he didn't wait until we said, God, we need you. He said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. If that's not love, I have absolutely no idea what possibly could be. You know, I talked about the stars, the planets, the galaxies, all the, these things were set like a clock. They have rhythms and they have circuits. They have no choice. They do not have a will. The angels, to a large part, have no will. Because if they exercise the will to say no, they become fallen angels and there's no redemption for them. But God, in all of creation, has given you and I the opportunity to say no. And yet he keeps pursuing us. And he keeps trying to bring us back to himself. I don't understand that. I have studied this thing since I was a little boy. I do not understand his love for us. But I'm incredibly thankful that he is so stubborn in his love and his passion for the human project. Um, I don't think I'm going to get through all this tonight. I do want to touch on something, though. The, 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 there's a chess game that's going on the entire Bible long. Okay? Satan is trying to derail the plan of redemption. Okay? He got Adam and Eve to fall. And by, by telling them, you can become God, same story, same lie, different names and faces. He's been doing it all through history. That's what the Antichrist is all about. We're seeing it today with all the false religions, self-made religion, all these kind of things. 
So they, they've got this chess game, this war going back and forth, back and forth. And every generation, Satan is trying to find out, could this person be the Messiah? So you have Moses, you know, he has to be, he has to be put in the, the reed basket, put in the river, because Pharaoh says, I'm killing all those children out there, so the deliverer, the deliverer cannot come. We see this happening throughout Israel's history. And again, when Jesus actually is born, you got Herod murdering all of the boys two years and under. So this is Satan's chess game, trying to stop the plan of redemption. He can't be redeemed. The fallen angels can't be redeemed. Why in the world is he... I mean, He's read, he's got this whole thing memorized, the Bible, you know, because he, boy, he spouts it, he twists it and uses it to confuse and damn people. Well, if he knows he's going to lose, why in the world does he keep fighting and deceiving and tempting? He knows he can't win. He knows he's bound for the abyss, the lake of fire. The only way that he can get back at God is if he can take people and cause them to be condemned to hell through their rebellion and their refusal, their deception and their blasphemy. Every person that he causes to fall and condemn themselves to hell, for him, is a sense of victory. Because he knows that the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. So do you see the chess game? That's why we're tempted. That's why people are deceived. That's why the devil people offers people the world. You ever wonder why all these rock stars and these movie stars, they die so young? Oh, the devil can't do that. Oh, yeah. He stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with the God of the universe and said, You bow to me, you worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus didn't say, You can't do that. Jesus didn't say, You don't have the power or the authority. He rebuked him with the word of God. He does have that. There are people every generation that are selling themselves for money, for, for women, for power, for territory, for glory. This is the chess game with every person that he convinces to send themselves to hell because God doesn't send them. God paid the price for them to go to heaven. God has been reaching out to them all of their lives. People choose to go to hell. They're not sent to hell. And every time that happens, it's like smacking God in the face because he's breaking the heart. That's the only victory that he can win. So that's why he keeps trying. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 28. It kind of gives a, a prequel to the chess game that's going on. And I'll, I'll, I'm not even halfway through, so I'll conclude tonight with, with uh, talking about this here. Ezekiel chapter 28. We're going to begin reading at verse 11. This is prehistory. Okay. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite and emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, 
lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On, that, on the day that you were created, they were prepared. Verse 14. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. You heard, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You who have come to a horrible end and will be no more. This is history we don't have an accounting of. There is no civilization spoken of in our books. There is no accounting for these geographical locations. He talks about the holy mount of God walking among the fiery stones. What was that? What was that? Where was that? Through your widespread trade. Wait. Humanity is not yet in the Garden of Eden existing. And he's talking about your widespread commerce, your widespread trade, your relationships with the nations. He said in, in verse 17, I made you a spectacle before kings. Who were those kings? He goes on to talk about your dishonest trade and your sanctuaries. There's, there is history that, that is not accounted for. There's a whole lot more to this chess game. When, how, why was wickedness? Where did the wickedness come from? He said you were perfect in your beauty, your character, everything. We'll read other passages that give further descriptions. He, he was made to be the worship leader of heaven. He actually had instruments built into his body. You say, Doyle, you have been smoking. You've been down there at one of those, those shops on the way up here to Caney. No, we'll read it. We'll talk about it. There's all kinds of things out there that we don't know. And yet we have people who are saying, you know, God can't be eternal. God can't be this. You guys can't be all this. And we think we understand so much. Remember in Job chapter 38, after he had been, he finally broke down and he began lamenting and complaining and griping to God. And he said, sit down, boy. I want to talk to you. Let me ask you a question. Two chapters. Were you there? Were you there? Did you know? Did you make all of these things? And we're reading things that are like, whoa, we have no history of that. Job was living concurrent with Leviathan. Job was living concurrent with dinosaurs. How does that fix? You say, that's not in there. Yeah, read it. Read the book of Job before you go to, night, uh, go to bed tonight. There's so many things in this chess game. It is so complex. 
And so God gives us the mountaintops. He gives us the highlights. He gives us the path, the things that we have to know. But there are fascinating things in this unread, this unknown history because we've got a season of seven years coming up that are going to be wild. The Lord said it's going to be worse than any other time that has ever been or ever will be again. I'm thinking of war in heaven and kicking the the worship leader out of the church and the guardian cherub getting fired. I think that's a pretty big deal. Taking a third of the angels out of heaven, I think that's a pretty big deal. And God says that the seven years that we're about to experience, not us as born-again believers, we're out of here. You want to stay and watch it? Fine, I'm leaving. But he said it's going to be worse than anything that has ever been. So if people can't live for the Lord right now, how in the world? You know, the Bible tells us there's going to be an incredible crowd that gets saved. I don't think that's going to be people who are in church now, who are not real believers, but they're just playing the game. I don't think so, because the Bible says that God is going to cause them to believe the lie because they love not the truth. I think it's going to be a bunch of people who are coming out of biker gangs and Islam and Hinduism, Buddhism, and all these things that the Lord's going to wake them up and they're going to receive Him. But for those who are playing games, and you see, you, 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 there are lots of things that you, young people, millennials, love to discuss things that they think that theologians can't handle, preachers can't handle. I had a girl call me in Madrid one day. She thought she was going to really um, throw me for a loop, throw some scientific questions out. I said, oh, yeah, let's go to chapter so-and-so in this book. and let's, Oh, yeah, right there it is. We think we're so smart, our mankind, unsaved man, thinks that they're so smart. When I look at these realities, and I look at my problems, and I'm thinking, you know, God, I've made mountains out of my problems, and I've made a little bitty God out of you. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, Lord. Because when I look at this, you're all-powerful. You're all-knowing. You create out of nothing. We'll look at fascinating patterns the Lord created Lucifer Lucifer is not a bad name it's a God given name it means light bearer in Spanish luz la luz means light he is a light bearer God created him knowing what he was going to do when Jesus came and he picked his disciples what did he do he picked Judas, the zealot, the terrorist. That's what he was. He was a part of the Jewish intifada that was causing havoc with the Roman government. He wanted a political messiah. He wanted a political ruler that was going to overthrow Rome. That's not why Jesus came. He said, I'm going to do that, but it's a long time from now. But I'm here now to redeem mankind. Jesus chose Judas knowing that he was going to betray him. 
God is always so far ahead. He's already got checkmate in his moves already. And every move that the devil makes, he has already anticipated it. And he makes it look like he's going to lose. And then he goes, click, 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 click. Game over. Checkmate. That's what's going to happen again. So I'm hoping that as we go through here, God is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger in our hearts and our eyes as we see all that he has done, that he knows absolutely everything, every word, every person, every name. The Bible says that he created every star, and it says that he calls them each by name. imagine my mom used to run through the list of kids including my sister till she got to my name God calls every one of those by name and we know that God names things after their characteristics we know that God names things after something that they're going to do wow he doesn't say you look like Bob I think I'll call you Bob no it's just like when he presented the animals before Adam. And it says, Adam named them all according to their characteristics. See, we were created in God's image. We'll get into that later. This God that we serve, he lets us have relationship with him, but it's impossible to know him. There's always more. There's always deeper. There's always revelation. To me, I get so excited about the Old Testament because I, I think there's so much in there that most people have never heard of because it's flyover territory. Yeah, I'm a Christian. We don't read that Jewish part. It's all Jewish, buddy. Jesus was a Jew. If you don't like Jews, you're in trouble because he's, he's the boss. But as we move through this and we pick up the big themes and things, I hope that you find things that you can take and you can give to other people. You can help them in their struggle, in their misunderstandings, in their frustrations, in their doubts. And hopefully it will improve our prayer lives as well because it is exciting. You know when God can tell the whole story of redemption from Adam to, to heaven in a genealogy, it's got to be good. Okay, so... Let's uh, close with prayer tonight and, and let's just ask the Lord that he would enlighten our hearts and open our spirits as we begin to read passages maybe we haven't visited in a long time that we will be refreshed and renewed and re-energized. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us, Lord. And that seems so trite to say that words cannot truly Communicate, Lord, what my heart feels. Lord, with deep gratitude, we sit here tonight, people who have not only heard about God, but your spirit convicted us that the account is true. And Lord, that you drew us to you and you gave us the faith to accept you as Savior. Thank you, Lord, for what you did and thank you, Lord, for what is yet to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.